Open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 2. We'll come back to the text that we skipped uh, during our Sunday school time. Beginning in verse 15. Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 15. We've already read these verses the last couple of Sundays, but we're going to read them again because they sort of set the stage for that which follows. Mark chapter 2, verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, speaking of Matthew's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up uh, filleth it, up, taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred, but the new wine must be put into new bottles. All three of the gospel writers have that no new cloth put on old garment, no new wine put in old bottles, following this account here. And so it's connected. And it's taken me a while to figure out what that was, but I hope to get to that this morning. First, just as a matter of review, the primary ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is preaching and teaching. And though he has involved himself in healing the sick and the diseased and casting out demons, yet over and over again we see that he is preaching and teaching the Word of God. We saw the last couple of weeks that he, after he had been through preaching in Mark chapter 2, that he came to Matthew the publican and he saved them. And uh, we looked at that under several headings. First, that his call was not accidental, that God does all that he does on purpose and for a purpose. And second, that Jesus was going about his business of the day, and that business included saving sinners, including Matthew. And third, that the call of God upon Matthew that day was an amazing act of mercy and grace because Matthew had involved himself in a degrading business of being a tax collector for the Romans. Fourthly, we saw that his call was given by the Lord with full knowledge of who Matthew was and what he had become because of his own choices. And I didn't emphasize that much, but we become what we are 
because of our own choices. The decisions we make, the choices we make, leads to what we become. But the call of Matthew that day was also based upon the fact that Jesus Christ was going to make Matthew into something other than he was. Fifthly, that his call was simple, that it is simply follow me. And sixth, that his call was immediately effectual, that as Jesus called him, immediately Matthew followed at once and continued to follow. And seventh, Matthew's call opened the door of hope for others. His salvation encouraged other publicans to come to Jesus. His open house and his meal gave opportunity to his friends to hear Jesus speak the truth to them. His personal ministry brought others to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel that he wrote continues to minister to people today. Last week we saw the contrast between the false religion of the Pharisees and the true Christianity displayed by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 16 we read, And the scribes and Pharisees saw him, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciple, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And we saw that these kinds of accusations flow from a self-righteousness and a false view of religion. Best demonstrated in Luke chapter 8 verse 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God I thank thee that I am not as other men are. And that self-righteous false religious view of himself. And then I asked the question, what is the cure for self-righteous thinking? And I answered it this way, simply put, true conversion. And we answered it this way. First, because true conversion is preceded by sinners knowing themselves to be sinners. In the same text where the Pharisees said, God, I thank you that I am not as other men, the publican stood and said, Lord, be merciful unto me. I'm the sinner. Second, a true convert of the Lord Jesus Christ never forgets what he was before he was converted. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7 and verse 18, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Third, true conversion eliminates boasting in the life of a true convert of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul argues with the Romans in Romans 3 and verse 27, and he says, Where is boasting then? And he says, it is excluded. It is excluded. And fourthly, true conversion leads to a true understanding of the grace of God, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and says, but by the grace of God I am what I am. Fifthly, true conversion leads to a true assessment of ourselves, which leads to a true humility. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Instead, the Apostle Paul says, we're to think soberly. And finally, true conversion produces true humility. As the Apostle Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, that am not me to be called an apostle. And we saw last week that true conversion deals with the issue of self-righteousness and a false religious idea about yourself. And that brings us up to this morning's verse, Mark chapter 2, verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Our verse starts out with the words, when Jesus heard it. Did our Lord overhear the Pharisees asking his disciples their question? Or did his disciples tell their Lord at the Pharisees what the Pharisees had asked them? Or did our Lord know their question because he is God who is omniscient? Well, either way, it makes no difference. The Bible simply tells us when Jesus heard it. But it is possible and improbable that because he is omniscient, he knew what was in their heart. We've already seen that in Mark chapter 2. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat uh, 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 eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, and the, verse, the next verse says, Jesus heard it. Verse 8 of Mark chapter 2 says, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had reasoned within themselves. In Luke chapter 6, verse 8, the Bible says, But he knew their thoughts. It is very consistent with the Scriptures that because Jesus Christ is God, he just simply knows what they're thinking at the time that they're involved in it. Luke chapter 7, in verse 39, When the Pharisee which had bidden him to his meal, had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. So what's going on in in Luke chapter 7 is Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee to eat a meal. He comes into the Pharisee's house and a woman comes in and washes his feet and dries them with her hair. The Pharisee is sitting there and says, within himself, if he was really a man of God, he would know what kind of woman she is. And in verse 40, the Bible says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he begins to address the thoughts that he had. Again, Luke 20, verse 23, But he perceived their craftiness, and said unto them, Why tempt ye me? So over and over throughout the Scriptures, Jesus knows what they're thinking. So in Mark chapter 2, Does he know what they're thinking because he heard them? Does he know what they're saying because the disciples came and told him? Or does he simply know because he's God? Well, either way makes no difference. The Bible opens up in verse 17 with the words, Jesus heard it. Did he hear their words or did he hear their thoughts? We don't know. But we know he's God and we know that he is omniscient, that he knows all things. Jesus took their question as an opportunity to correct their false religious ideas and to teach the truth of the Word of God. Every time you see this conflict between the Jews' religion and Jesus Christ, you see Him taking what they say and correcting it with the Word of God. That should teach us something. Every question that arises, every comment that is made, every statement made around us is an opportunity for us to speak the truth of the Word of God. I've spoken several times to people I know do not believe the Bible to be the Word of God with this statement. I just simply say, well, I know you don't believe the Bible to be the Word of God, but I do. And the Bible teaches. 
take the opportunity to answer the question. Take the opportunity to deal with the statement that is made if God gives you the open door. Here, the Bible opens in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, with the words, When Jesus heard it, and the next words are, He saith unto them. He saith unto them. He heard it by whatever means. Now he's going to answer the question. Now he's going to deal with them. And he says to them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says the same thing in Matthew chapter 9, but adds something else. Let me read it to you. Matthew 9, verse 12 and 13. Same account, but he adds something else. Matthew 9, verse 12. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He saith unto them, you got something you need to learn. You need to learn something. Why does your master, why does the Lord Jesus Christ sit with sinners and publicans? He eats with them, he drinks with them. And Jesus heard them and answered them and said, you need to learn something. You need to learn something. And you need to learn it from the scriptures. And here is the reason why I've come. Jesus answers the religious question concerning him sitting with sinners. And he tells them of their condition. Of the condition of those whom he sat and of his purpose for coming. To the Pharisees, he says, I did not come for those whose religion teaches them that they are pure and holy and better than others. I did not come for those whose religion teaches them that their soul is perfectly well. Concerning sitting with sinners, he says, I came for those whose souls are sick and diseased. I came for those who are sick and made sick by sin, for those who are broken down by their own decisions to go away from God. I came for those who have no place in the religion of the Jews or any other religion. I came for those who have forfeited their place among the good, self-righteous, religious people of the world. I came for sinners. I did not come to judge unrighteous judgment. Go and learn ye what it meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, he says in Matthew. I had not come to judge unrighteous judgment, but I have come to have mercy upon sinners. I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to save those who are in need of a Savior. The Jews should have known that this was true of their God. Had they not read the Scriptures? Jesus answers them, this is the reason I came. It should have been, as it were, in their face. Had they not read the Scriptures? Psalm 41, verse 4. David cries, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Healing of the soul, God's mercy go together. Being a sinner, needing healing of the soul and God's mercy all go together. Here we have one verse. Had they not read, I said unto the Lord, Be merciful unto me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Had they not read Hosea the prophet, chapter 6, verse 1, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he is torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. 
Have they not read the scriptures? They should have known this about their God. They should have known that he came to heal the sick and the diseased, the poor and the sinner. But their religion had twisted their mind and their heart so they could not judge righteous judgment. All they could judge is unrighteous judgment. After accusing the Lord Jesus Christ of blasphemy in Mark chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, after accusing the Lord Jesus Christ of becoming unclean by his association with sinners in Mark chapter 2 and verse 16, now the Pharisees move to question his religious practices by comparing it with their own religious practices and with the religious practices of John the Baptist. Leaving verse 17, we come to verse 18. They ask, the the scriptures declare, and the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, and thy disciples fast not? Before we move to this verse, I want you to notice they've accused him of blasphemy and he's answered them. They've accused him of sitting with sinners and he's answered them. And they haven't been corrected. Instead, they quickly jump to another issue. Immediately after the answer that Jesus gave them concerning sitting with questions, they say, well, what about fasting? We fast, and John's disciples fast, but your disciples don't fast. Do you see what's happening here? Do you see the practice of the religious mind? How often I've been sitting with people, and just like that, they change the subject. I'll answer them. They see the answer, but they don't want to receive the answer. So quickly, let's go to another subject. Mark chapter 18 is just interjected in there with no comment following the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 17. Just like the account in Mark chapter 2, verse uh, 6, where they accused him of, of speaking blasphemy. He answers them and no response. Still, it is right to use the Scriptures. Whether men will respond or not or up, not up to us, they have to answer to God on their own. But I want you to see the practice here. Rather than being corrected, rather than contemplating, rather than giving consideration, they quickly jump to another subject, to another uh, matter. And so not one gospel writer records any correction among the Pharisees, among the lawyers, or among the scribes. The rest of the gospel record... This is the opening ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of the gospel records show that they are not corrected by any instruction given by the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, they remain adamant in their religion and their religious practices and tradition and attack the Lord Jesus Christ and his practices all the way up to the time that they turn him over to Herod for crucifixion. Notice in this text, verse 18, that even the disciples of John the Baptist fell into the same trap. The Bible says here that the, John, the disciples of John, the Baptist, of John and of the Pharisees ask him the questions. In Matthew chapter 9 in verse 14, Then came to him the disciples of John saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast? 
Well, let me just address fasting. I'm not one of getting into the subject this morning, but regular fasting was a religious duty which developed among the Jews. It is also a duty exercised by most religions. But our Lord does not deal with fasting so much as He begins to deal and open up here. He will address the issue. Verse 19, Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as the bridegroom is with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And then immediately says, No man soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. Else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine in, an old, in old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles. The wine is spilled, and the bottle will be marred. But new wine must be put in new bottles. Now what's the connection? First, let's deal with the, the answer concerning fasting. And then we'll deal with the addition of what he said. John's disciples fast. The Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples don't. Why not? Well, they can't because the bridegroom is with them. Well, the Jews of those days must have known what John had said to them in the early part of his ministry. In John chapter 3, verse 29 and 30, John the Baptist, speaking to the Pharisees, called himself the friend of the bridegroom. Verse 29 says, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, and but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly, because the bridegroom's voice, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. John the Baptist is saying, I'm the friend. And then adds, He must increase, I must decrease. John 3, verse 29 to 30. So John the Baptist's disciples were there, and the Pharisees were there, but Jesus answers as though they already know that he is the bridegroom. John has announced himself as a friend. But Jesus adds some words. Second, the disciples are called the children of the bride chamber. In the Greek, it means that they are the honored guest in the very room where the bridegroom is to be married. They are honored guests at the wedding ceremony. They are not the help that are bringing the food and the wine around. They are the honored guest, specially dressed, specially invited by the bridegroom to be here. They cannot fast at a wedding ceremony. It is not fitting to do so. In fact, it would be rude to do so. It would dishonor the bridegroom. And so he answers their issue concerning fasting and then moves to what is true about Christianity. And that is that true Christianity observes that which is appropriate and fitting at the time. It does not impose its rules and regulations upon people. True Christianity flows from the heart not from an outward duty of religious observance. There is a time for everything under the sun. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4 says, There's a time to weep. 
And then there's a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. While Jesus was present with his disciples, it was not a time of weeping, it was not a time of mourning. Instead, it was a time of laughing and dancing, it was a time of being rejoicing. The time would come when they would fast. We live in that time now. Fasting is a good thing. The time would come, but this was not the appropriate time for that. And it is not the appropriate time for you to impose your rules and regulations upon my disciples. Our Lord was teaching the Jews that while he was present with his disciples, it was not the time of mourning and weeping. It was not the time for fasting. But third, our Lord immediately goes into some teaching to show the Pharisees and those around him that there is a difference between the religion of the Jews and all other religions and that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything about the person and work of Jesus Christ teaches us that God is instituting something good and something different and something new. From the opening pages of Mark and going through the Gospels, you cannot read them without seeing God is doing something different. He is in constant conflict with the Jews' religion. He is in constantly correcting them for their traditions and their thinking. God is doing something different. God is doing something new. And it is summarized by, contra- by contrasting two covenants. The first is a covenant of works. A covenant of works can make men religious, it can make men self-righteous, but it cannot justify men before a holy God. It is as old as Adam, and it cannot be compared with that which the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. The second is a covenant of grace that takes sinners and by the grace of God through faith cleanses them, forgives them, purifies them, and justifies them before a holy God. It is as old as God, and yet it is new in its quality and its character. Fourth, the entrance of the second covenant is described as God's new cloth and God's new wine. That will de- it will destroy all other religions, especially the Jews' religions. Jesus is saying that his new doctrine, his new religion, if you would, does not match with the old religious garments of rituals and rites that the Pharisees observed. It does not match with the Jews' religion or any other man-made religion. Jesus is saying the old garment of man-made religion is full of holes. It cannot cover our sinful nakedness. It cannot be mended. It is tattered and worn. It is threadbare and useless. You cannot patch it up with a new piece of cloth. It just makes it worse if you do. The new garment is a robe of righteousness which fully covers us and allows us to be acceptable to our Holy Father in Heaven. Jesus is saying that His new wine does not match the old religious practices of the Jews' religion or any other man-made religion. Their old wine makes men drunk on themselves. 
it causes men to see themselves in a better light than they should. You know, that happens when men get drunk. They think they are something more than what they are. They think they're stronger, better looking. They think they can do things that they cannot do. Old wine does that. It makes men drunk on themselves. Just like false religion does. The new wine causes men's hearts to rejoice. Not in themselves, but in the goodness and mercy of a forgiving Savior. If you try to put them together so that the old is preserved with the new, they will destroy each other. Put new wine in an old wineskin and it will burst. And the wine will be spilt and the bag will be burst. Jesus' teaching is teaching those that are present that it is not biblical, it is not right, it is not appropriate that His doctrine... His salvation, His way back to God should be connected with the old corrupt doctrines of the Pharisees, of the Jews' religion, of any man-made religion. The new teachings of the new covenant should not be put together or forced to try to fit into the old teachings of the old covenant. They will destroy each other. In some of my studies this week, I came across a man named H.J. Beavis. I don't know who he is. I haven't been able to find him out. I don't even know if he's a bad... I don't know anything about him. I just know his name. But what he said was so good, I thought, I'm going to copy this, and I'm going to read it at the end of this. Because it speaks of that which is new. What we have is a new cloth that covers us. What we have is a new wine that rejoices our heart. And it cannot be put with the old. It cannot be mixed with the old. Why does your master sit with sinners? Well, that's what God does. That's why he came. And it doesn't fit with your old religion. I know that. And it cannot fit with your old religion. I know that. And so H.J. Beaver said, Christianity set up a new kingdom. A kingdom within man. A reign over the spiritual man. Quote, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It published a new law and gives man a new commandment. Quote, love is the fulfilling of the law. Christianity introduces us to a new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem which is the mother of us all and everything in that new city is new. The temple is new. It is a spiritual temple. Spiritual men are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. The altar is new. We have an altar where they have no right to eat, which serve in the tabernacle. The sacrifice is new. It is an offering up of the body of Christ once for all. The incense is new. It is the sacrifice of praise, even the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The priesthood is new. We have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens for us, even Jesus, the Son of God. The way into the holiest is new. It is a new and living way consecrated for us. The worship is new. Father, look at our desire that to find those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. 
The song is new. We have a new song. The ritualism is new. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. God sustains a new relation in us. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He is our Father which is in heaven. The day have come when God has made a new covenant with man. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. The Spirit is new, even the Comforter proceeding from the Father and from the Son. The Gospel is new. God has spoken to us by His Son. The phraseology is new. We preach Christ crucified. Even the symbolism is new. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Since everything in Christianity is new, we must ourselves be new. We must be born again. There must be a passage from death to life, from darkness to light. The life we live in the flesh must be a new life. All things must pass away. All things become new. It's a lot of quote. But it refers to that which is new. And when Jesus Christ said they can't fast because the bridegroom is with them. And he says, besides that, you can't put a piece of new cloth on an old garment. And you can't put new wine in old bottles. He was saying to the Jews, that old religion you have, that religious tradition that is developed under your teaching, it is old, it is torn, it is tattered, it is worthless. You can't put what I'm doing together with that and have a good outcome. That has to be done away with and sinners need to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. All man-made religion is exactly the same as the Jews' religion. There are actually only two religions in the whole world. One is, God, I thank you that I am not like him. This is what I've done for you. The other is, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all the religion of the world wrapped up together in two statements. God says all of this over here is man-made and useless. I've sent my Son. He's the only Savior of sinners. Call upon Him. Let's pray together.